us bless the Lord today. Amen. You may be seated in God's house because he is good. How many believe we serve a good God? How many believe there's nothing impossible for our God? And that during these perilous times, which our message will be on today, God is still good. How many believe we're in perilous times, but God is good? The Bible says that these last days would be perilous times. Let's turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. I'm so happy that you're here today. We are celebrating the presence of God. We are living for Jesus. While the world may be going to hell in a handbasket, we are on the ark with Christ, and we're going to heaven with Jesus. If that's you, can I hear an amen? And if you want to bring others on the ark of God, can I hear an amen? Amen. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. We are not going to sugarcoat it today. Today I want to be honest with you with where we're at as a culture and society, and I want to thank you for praying for me the last couple of weeks because I asked you a few weeks ago to pray about whether or not I should go into a sermon series verse by verse through the Bible or keep preaching at what's going on specifically in our culture. And I felt the Lord would give me a release to keep preaching about what's going on in our culture. And it's not bad news. It's good news because God is going to turn it for our good. But the bad news is, is how they're acting and what they're doing. But God is going to turn it for our good. Everything is father filtered. There is not one thing out of place from what God had not already seen and allowed. And so even though there's a devil, he's God's devil. That means God has him under his control. And I know oftentimes we say, well, then why does he allow him to do X, Y, and Z? The devil is here because we chose to sin against God. And because we chose to sin against God, the devil has been unleashed upon us, but God only lets him go so far. And so when we see evil in the world, it shouldn't make us shake our fist at God. It should bring us to our knees and shake our fist at the devil. When you see, listen to me, when you see the suffering of children, you shouldn't go, how dare you, God? You should go on your knees and say, have mercy, Lord. Do you see the difference in mindset? It's not that God has wanted us, in a sense, to be under the devil's power, to be here in a place where there's wickedness, death, and destruction, but he gave us a choice, and we chose to know what? At the, at the tree there of the knowledge of good and evil, we chose to know good and what? This is what evil looks like. If you want to know what evil looks like, look at your culture right now. Look at what has happened in our world. Look at what's going on in our world. This is what evil looks like. I would see a taste of it when I would go to Mardi Gras and preach in New Orleans on Bourbon Street when, when the rules were lax just a little bit and people could get away with just a little bit more. But this is what lawlessness looks like. This is what wickedness looks like. And I'm sorry to say it's just the beginning. The world is looking for more opportunities to cast off. Let's go to Psalm 2 before I get into 2 Timothy. The world is looking for more opportunities. Please and thank you, sir. The world is looking for more opportunities to cast off the restraints of God. And though America hasn't always acted Christian, it has had a Christian voice and a Christian foundation. And whenever the people went away from the Bible and allowed things to be done that were anti the Bible, the Christians of that time rose up against them. How many know in the North that African Americans had freedom for a long time? They went to colleges. They held political offices. Why? Because that was a bastion of freedom that the Christians provided. The Christians that I follow, like uh, the Wesleyans and the Methodists and the Movarians, had integrated services long before the Civil War. Are you listening to me? And it is the Civil War where Christian fought non-Christian or when Christians fought false Christians. Are you tracking with me today? You see, we may not have always done things right, but as a nation, we decided to put the Bible as what you would swear upon in court. We put the Bible and a chaplain before every meeting of Congress. And you can look at even, you know, we celebrated 4th of July. Before the Declaration of Independence was written, there was a prayer meeting. So you may say to yourself, well, I don't agree with everything that was going on at that time. What, what nation was better than them? What nation in Latin America was better than them? What nation in Africa was better than them? What nation in the Middle East was better than them? Come on, somebody. What nation in Europe was better than them? Slavery existed all over the world. Slavery, uh, abuse of power, European colonialism, 
existed, as well as African colonialism, Islamic colonialism, Chinese dynasty colonialism. Are you listening? I said, are you listening? And so what we're seeing now is an upheaval against the Christian roots of a nation that gave us the freedoms that we have and sent out more missionaries around the world than any other nation in history. The United States of America sent out more missionaries around the world than any nation has ever, has ever sent. If you track with your people, where did most of the missionaries come from that reached your people? They came from the United States of America. Where did most of the missionaries come from that reached Africa? Where did they come from? America. Where did most of the missionaries come from that reached China, that reached the Middle East, that reached the different parts of the world? You see, God blessed our nation as we went closer to his truth. And as we went further from God's truth, we have suffered. Are you listening to me today? There is suffering when we go from God's truth. Look at what Psalm chapter 2 verse 1 says. Why do the nations conspire? And now we are a part of that. The United States of America is a part of the pluralities of nations conspiring against God. And the people's plot in vain. The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and his anointed saying, Let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. What is our nation saying back to God in this Bible right now? Your Bible and your God is a shackle to my lifestyle and my beliefs, and I want to be free from you. Is that not what our nation is saying? They want in God we trust, taken off of the money. They want one nation under God, taken out of the Pledge of Allegiance. They want the Ten Commandments removed from places that had been there for centuries. They want the Bible to stop being the book that we swear upon. They want chaplains to leave the Congress before there's a chaplaincy. They want all removal of Christian faith to be taken away out of the public square. Now, I would agree that such things like Confederate soldiers, those who were cultic Christians, justifying their slavery by the Bible and a misinterpretation, the very thing that they were doing, you would get you stoned in the Old Testament and get you kicked out of the church of the New Testament. It was never allowed to steal and own people as chattel property. But listen to me, even though I believe that the, the Civil War was a righteous war and that the Confederates did, do not deserve to have statues on our land, I do not believe we do it through tyranny, through rebellion, through anarchy. Why not just ask to take them down, take a vote through our democracy? But you see, we have a problem now in our nation that does not want to uh, adhere to the rules the majority now are becoming tyrannical. They're becoming tyrants themselves. And what they want to do is cast off all restraint. There was a statue in Washington, D.C. that was paid for by African freed slaves, and they wanted to tear it down. And African Americans came to defend that statue and to give the history, older African Americans. And there the younger people, woke people, even white people, yelled at those African Americans who knew not their own history. And see, the problem is if we don't understand our history and the problems that we've had in our history, we're going to repeat them. And if we don't understand the things that we did right, in our history, then we're going to neglect them. There's a reason why in our history we've been a God-fearing people. There's a reason in our history why we're so prosperous. And I want everybody to listen to me. I am not American in the sense that I came here with the founders of the country. I, my people, Polish and Italian, only came here 100 years ago. But I want to be very honest with you. The reason why my relatives came here, because their nation was garbage. Do you understand that? My family left Italy because Mussolini was taking over and making Italy a fascist nation. Garbage. My Polish ancestors left between World War I and World War II because Poland had nothing to bring against Hitler's army and it was going to turn to total garbage as it did. And so we have to ask ourselves, why are people in our nation tearing everything down when everybody else is leaving their nation admitting that it's garbage to try to get here? My family came from Greece. My in-laws came from Greece. Loved the people. They loved the food. They loved the Mediterranean weather. But the government is garbage. And yet somehow now we are 
you know, we are racists or bigots for saying that. No, there is a better way of doing things. And the reason why United States of America has so many immigrants and has so many people like me, has so many people like my mother and father-in-law here, is because those who came before us didn't want a garbage nation. They wanted a nation founded upon principles that could bring freedom. And now we want to tear those things off to the point to where we see clearly in Detroit Police officers are justly, rightly, good and upstandingly arresting criminals and one of them pulls a gun and shoots four rounds directly at police officers and then the police officers respond and kill them and we still have idiots in Detroit protesting. What is wrong with our nation? When have we ever said that it was okay to shoot at police officers? And yet this was never, this was never about African Americans. Even though there was an injustice of one who was wrongly killed by the police, we all agreed, but it was never about them. It was about an agenda to tear our nation down. That's why when I say I have black friends, I believe what they believe because they believe the Bible and here are their principles. They say that those black people are coons and sellouts and we shouldn't listen to them. We should listen to the black people who hate America. But I say to them, I thought it was about black people. Now you're making it about political ideologies. It really was never about black people. And get ready, brown people. I think the next thing's going to be at the border. I'm not a prophet, but get ready for everyone to come from South America and cause chaos at the border of our nation because they're going to pull out everything they can to try to tear down America. And I want to be very honest with you. I don't even think Trump is saved. But I would rather vote for someone that was going to stand up for American values than someone who wants to tear it down. And when someone says to me, well, did you vote for Trump? Yeah, what was I going to do? Vote for Hillary Clinton, who still to this day supports partial birth abortion, who wants to take the rights away from Christians and make legal, make legal the things that we would consider sin. My friends, we have to stand up in this nation. Now, if you don't want to vote Republican, you don't want to vote for someone that you can't support in that way and all the sins he's done in the past, I understand. But my friends, we have to make a decision in this nation to let our voices be heard because we are in perilous times. People want to throw off the things of God. Right now in Canada, it's illegal for us to preach on the streets like we do in America. Street preachers get arrested for preaching against homosexuality. It is against the law to publicly preach in Canada against homosexuality, but it's lawful to parade it out on gay pride parades in front of children. So people say now, oh, we're racist and we're bigots. No, we are Christians. We have Christian values. We believe in the Bible. And they say now we're forcing it upon people. No, it was never forced. It was never forced. Though our nation has been the majority of Christians, we have never forced our Christianity on people. Sometimes people say, well, what about the Native Americans? What about all of these different times that you fought the, the Mexicans? Or the First of all, I wasn't there, but if we're just talking about America in general, why are you so upset you got your butt whooped? Have you studied the history of, of Mexico? Where do you think Mexico got its borders from? Do you think they just walked over to each other and said, hey, I'm going to take this land, you're going to give me... No, they fought and killed each other. Do you think the Aztecs, the Incas, the Mayans, and all of these tribes are just walking around hanging out with each other singing Kumbaya? As a matter of fact, Native Americans were selling each other, and then when the African slave trade came, they started selling African Americans. But blame it on the white man. Blame it on the white man. The white European slave trade came almost a thousand years after the Islamic slave trade, which traded more Europeans than we've traded Europeans, have traded African Americans. What about the Islamic slave trade? What about the pirates that our Marines had to fight at the beginning of our nation at Tripoli? And they still, to this day, are pirates in those places right now taking over ships. Just Google right now, YouTube, pirates on the open seas taking over cargo ships. Are you listening? What is all this wickedness? This is the wickedness of sin. Should we deny our sin if I'm a part of a culture, if my nation's a part of sin? No. How many hear us talk about the sin of white people here? How many hear, talk, hear us talk about the sin of white people? 
Yes, we do talk about how many here, here talked about the sin of black people. Why? Because I talk about sin. You're having sex outside of marriage, white, black, pink, purple, that's sin. You're living the LGBTQ lifestyle. I don't care what color you are, that's sin. And we believe there's only one race, the human race, but here's the deal. The nations, plural, want to cast off the things of God. They want to cast them off. What do you think is going to happen to this nation the more we cast off the things of God? What do you think is going to happen? We're going to face destruction. And the Bible says that when we face destruction, it will be at the hands of another nation. What if we become so, uh, so embroiled in turmoil in our own nation that people that really hate us like China come and take us over? That's exactly what happened to the people of Israel. They were in so much sin and disobedience among their own people, sacrificing their, sacrificing their children to Molech like we do in abortion clinics, following false gods like we follow sports and entertainers, and being unjust among each other, causing so much of an uprising that they had no defense, they had no real way of defending themselves, and the enemies of Israel, Babylon, Assyria, came and took them over. I cannot tell you how many prophets I have talked to who have had dreams and visions of us being invaded by other armies. Even myself, early on in Bible college, I had dreams and visions of us being invaded by other armies. In World War II, Japan reached our borders of California. It would not be hard if nations wanted to rise up together against our nation. Because when I look at the end times and I look at the Bible, America, a superpower, is not there. All we see is one superpower ruling all of the nations. And so whether or not we voted in or whether or not we're taken over, it doesn't look like America stands as it was very long. But the Bible says in verse 4, the one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger. The Bible says clearly, can you keep going, sir? The Bible says clearly that he terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. So here's the deal. We may not make it long as the United States of America. That's why I'm not America here. It's not uh, America first here. It's the kingdom of God here. And so I am preparing you as a church, should we get invaded, should we lose our greatness? Should we lose our nation? Should we lose the ability to have our citizenship the way that it's been? You need to understand the one in heaven laughs at what the world is doing, and we as Christians will be there when God rebukes them in his anger. The judgment of God is coming upon the earth. I believe the reason why God allows it to get so bad, as you read in Matthew 24 and in parts of Revelation, is because by the time he brings the bowls of wrath, he wants us, his children, to go, amen. See, some of you right now, you might be a little bit skeptical of why God would plague half the earth or a quarter of the earth or why God would turn the sea to blood and why he would come down with us on a horse with a sword and, and destroy a hundred million person army. A lot of us might be like, man, that's unfair. Watch some cities burn some more. Watch some innocent people be killed some more. Watch the world go to hell in a handbasket and I guarantee you'll be shouting for Jesus to come. You'll be just like the martyrs are around the throne of God saying, how much longer till you pour it out? There are martyrs right now in, in North Korea that have had their lives taken from them that are shouting around the throne of God, judge North Korea, Jesus. There are those who have been in those ISIS uh, camps and been tortured, beheaded, like those men were at the Coptics as they were laid out there before the, the sea and all of them beheaded. They are shouting right now among the throne of God, when is my justice coming, Jesus? There are those that are there from India, Norissa, India, when they would burn them in their churches alive. They are, there are those there from Nigeria who have have had their limbs cut off and then tortured to death and they are there now and they are from this generation and they are around the throne and they are saying how much longer Lord do we see your rebuke and we see your wrath they are crying out for it that's why some of the sweetest Christians I know also believe in the judgment of God being sweet in the kingdom of God it's not about trying to uh, manipulate people. The reason why they're being sweet and gracious is because they know that God's judgment's going to come, and they know that today they want people to be saved. 
And that's why today, even though I'm not as sweet as some, but I'm telling you, I'm going out preaching because I don't want to see this happen to my friends. I don't want to see this happen to my neighborhood. I want to see there be a third great awakening in America. If you study, we've had a first great awakening. We've had a second great awakening. And I want to see a third great awakening. That's why we put 100,000 on the board because we believe God wants to save people. But I cannot hide from you the truth. Go to 2 Timothy, please, of what we're facing. 2 Timothy chapter 3. But mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power have nothing to do with such people. These are the kind that worm their uh, way into homes and gain control over gullible women who are loaded down with all kinds of sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so also these teachers oppose the truth. They are men of depraved mind who, as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected, but they will not get very far because, as in the case of those men, they, their follow, uh, excuse me, in the case of those men, their folly will be clear to everyone. Everybody say their folly will be clear to everyone. Say it again. Say their folly will be clear to everyone. Right now, why is people's folly not clear? Right now, why is people's folly not clear? Because people are being deceived in this nation. But to us who are Christians, the folly of the sinner is clear. How many see the folly of sinners right now? How many see it? It's clear. It's clear when you look at the world and you see what's going on. The folly is clear. Let's look at this list. I went through it quickly. I want to give you an example of every single one of these things that Paul listed out. They will be lovers of themselves. Have you seen reality TV? The Kardashians? Have you seen the way the world is living right now? They love themselves more than anything. Lovers of money. Have you seen how our sports and entertainers spend their money? Have you seen the greed of our nation? Have you seen the greed of the people? Boasters. Have you seen how much people boast in our nation? How much people take credit for themselves? The rapper Snoop Dogg, when he received uh, an award, he said, the first one that I want to thank is me, myself, and I. They are proud. Have you seen the politicians? Have you seen those who have power? Have you heard or seen a documentary on Mark Zuckerberg or heard about or, or le learned about Steve Jobs, the founder of Apple, or Bill Gates? These are proud, cocky men. They are blasphemers. Have you ever heard the, the name of the Lord taken more in vain than in this generation? There is no respect. There is no honor for the name of Jesus Christ. He is blasphemed now on normal sitcom TV shows, disobedient to their parents. Their parents more than likely taught them about there only being two genders, male and female. Their parents taught them about good and evil. And when you look at these movements, whether it was in Mao Zedong's China, whether it was in different places of the world, most of the revolutionaries like in Hitler are children and they turn on their own parents. Parents, they become disobedient and they bring in revolution. Talk to anybody who was around during the time of Che Guevara and Fidel Castro with Cuba. It was a shock to me to see young people wearing those shirts. Those young people of their day who brought revolution killed the adults, killed the landowners, and made Cuba one of the worst nations to live in, though it's one of the most beautiful. Are you listening? Talk to people who swam here or at least tried or made makeshift rafts to come here from Cuba, disobedient to their parents, unthankful. I have never seen a generation be more unthankful than this generation. Not thankful for their freedoms. Not thankful for their opportunities of education. Now they just want everything for free. They want everything done the way they want it to be done. And if they don't have it that way, they are unthankful, unholy. Have you ever seen a generation of people more unholy, more perverse? There are now shows about how you can win the date to sleep with the girl. There are now shows where they put you naked in the jungle. There are, there are so many ways to have perverted. There, there are pornographic channels. There are right now the number one sellers or the number one of views on the Internet is pornography. Unholy, 
unloving and unforgiving. I'll tie these two together. I have never met a generation of people, and this is all cultures, this is all ages, who are more unloving and more unforgiving. There's a young man who was a part of a murder when he was a child. He was only 11 years old. And thankfully, in jail, he gave his heart to Jesus. And as an adult, they released him. And as he became released, he became a preacher. And I will follow him. And you just see the haters on his, on his sight. They literally mock him. They have a picture with Jesus and a little boy on Jesus' lap. And, and, and to mock this kid, they go, you know, this is supposedly the boy that was murdered. Jesus says, look over there. Your murderer got to come to heaven just because he asked for forgiveness. I've never heard people mock the forgiveness of God and the love of God more than any generation. They want punishment and retribution for everybody else's wrongs except their own. They are slanderers. When we were attacked as a church, I was slandered. Every possible thing was brought out against me to turn it to slander, to turn it towards a conspiracy, to turn it towards putting me down when it was not true. And yet they took joy in it. They took pleasure in it. In the name of inclusion, they made me have a head on top of homosexual acts. And somehow that was supposed to convince me to love the LGBTQ lifestyle by gay shaming me. But they're slanderers. They're without self-control. If you watch the two African-Americans that I was talking about at that statue in Washington, D.C., the older African-American, the historian, he's there with dignity. He's there with knowledge. And there is another African-American female on the other side screaming like a child, losing her mind, uncontrollable, unable to put together an argument. She's just a tattle. She's just a toddler wanting to tattletale on someone she doesn't like and to throw a fit. Nothing like the generation of Martin Luther King Jr. On the underground church page, I have this young stellar African-American man in a conversation with the chief of police there in Montgomery. He defies him over and over again with kindness and truth and logic, and he makes the chief of police, the racist, look like an idiot because he's on the side of truth. He had self-control. He had dignity. He didn't resort to just being brutal as we see now, brutality in our gangs, and yet these gangs are the same ones who riot in our cities. And so they say black lives matter, and then the black people that I follow say yes, and start with the gang violence, start with the abortion violence, start with all of this, and then they shut them down with their, with their brutality. They threaten them. I myself have been threatened. Why? Because I'm caring about unborn people of color, but it's the spirit of murder that, that has them kill the children, and it's with the spirit of murder they defend their, right, their mur murderous ways. Are you listening? That's why they're so murderous towards us. We've been going out to the inner city helping the African-American community, and we go there, and every time we go there, Jared, do we not see the gangs on the corners? Do they ever come? Do they ever try to help us? No. They scatter like cockroaches because they know that the light is greater than darkness, and they're ashamed of what they're doing when the church comes. Drug dealers, murderers, they're brutal, despisers of good. Whether it's in politics, whether it's in Hollywood, whether it's in Silicon Valley, they despise good. The uh, CEO of Mozilla Firefox was fired simply for having conservative Christian values. I believe in one man and one woman. That's not allowed in Silicon Valley. You got to get them out of here. And then how many can I get an amen for Goya? The guy just is conservative, and yet they despise him. He's built a business. He has helped the Latino community. The products are good, and yet now, because he stands for what's right, or at least in his mind what is right, he's despised. It's like today, if you do not become what they want you to be as what the Bible would call evil, you're despised. Traitors. I've seen people betray their family. I've seen people betray their church, betray their friendships. We have people that are afraid to come to this church. And then now, out of their own fear, they put us down. Not everyone who has left is a traitor, but listen to me. There have been traitors that have left this church, and they try to expose something going on here to the rest of the haters. Like as if they're going to expose something secret here. Like there's something really, really secret going on here. No, you're just a traitor. You have no love for honor. You have no love for what we did for you. 
And they're doing it all over the country, traitors to their own country. I understand you can be a militiaman, you can have your own guns, you can do that, America affords you that right. But there's these guys who went down to march against the Confederate stone thing, which is good, okay, you don't like it, that's fine. But it seems like now they want to be traitors of the United States of America. Is that what you're asking? Because our military wants a clear signal. Do you want a war with us? I understand you may not like what's going on, but are you betraying the nation? If you don't like it, you can always go somewhere else, or you can try to protest for change. But it's be, it, how many of you understand right now, it's getting a little bit hard to tell whether or not, are we protesting, are you guys protesting, or are you starting a war? I mean, what, what's really going on here? When we wanted to meet during the time of COVID, we understood protest, peaceful resistance. I followed the way of Martin Luther King Jr. I still believe that's the best way to do it. I didn't go down to the mayor with weapons. I didn't start to insinuate that if things didn't go our way, that there was going to be next levels of things coming. But people are traitors, headstrong. Headstrong. Not heart strong, but headstrong in their head. They think they figured something else. Haughty, another word for pride. Look at verse 18. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Do you know that in our own country, Chaz, Chop, people took over a whole six-block area to have nothing but drunken, drug-infested parties. And the mayor called it a summer of love. That lasted until people started murdering each other. What did you expect when you have a bunch of alcoholics and drug addicts in one place without any law? What happened in Chaz in Seattle, what happened in Chop, will happen all across this nation. And there seems to be people that would love it. They would love to have a free reign of their pleasure. And that's why when we as Christians, we said that pedophilia was coming after the LGBTQ agenda. They laughed at us, and now they are doing it. Though it's still not approved by the LGBT leaders, it is now more acceptable on social media. The same lawyers and the same ones who were in the beginning of the LGBT movement, many of them were pedophiles, and they built this into the system, and they want to make love not only something that is free of gender, but is free of age. These organizations are real, and they want our children. Introducing drag queens and perverted lifestyle in our children's libraries during story time is conditioning children and trying to sexually arouse them at an age to make it acceptable for the things that come next. Lover the, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And let me just tell you this. Everything we see happening here has already happened in other cultures. Rome was a pederasty culture. Greece was a pederasty culture. You could study about the, uh, um, the 300, those guys, the Spartans, pederasts. Pederasty and messing with children has always been around. Killing children has always been around. It's just a sad day in our nation when we are now approving of it, approving of pederasty. Approving of abortion and killing of our children. Approving of drunken perversion and saying that this is normal. Now there's a kind of person that creeps into the household and makes captives gullible women loaded down with sins. Black Lives Matter is no coincidence that it was founded by three women. Not to say that women are always gullible or women are always guilty of their sin, but this is a judgment of God when you see women in sin beginning to take places of leadership and taking power. We see with Jezebel during the time of Israel that the queen, she was wicked and drunk with her own power, and this was a judgment. This was a form of manipulation no different than the way Oprah Winfrey and Ellen DeGeneres manipulate women to follow their wickedness. That's what was happening. And it says in verse 21, they're always learning, but they're never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. How many know in our generation people are always learning? They're taking in information. They're taking in information. We're always learning. We have PBS, you know, you know, little videos come on our Facebook feeds. We have the National Geographic. We have all of this. We're always learning. We're always learning. But we're never able to come to the truth. Why? Because of the last thing. We're people of corrupt minds. I saw a picture on a person saying that abortion was a sin. The picture of a baby fetus in the hand of a doctor full of blood 
And the meme on the picture was, this is not a human, get over it, and if you can't, F you. How can you debate with someone that has that much of a corrupt mind? You see the bloody fetus in the hand, and they say, this is not human. Corruption. We literally have to play Frankenstein with body parts to reassign the mental, uh, uh, you know, the mental illness to the gender of the mental illness. And even then, the rate of suicide is still extremely high. And people cannot see that going through all of that is actually the problem instead of healing the mind. We now have, listen to me, entire organizations, I've put it on the underground church page, entire organizations of former lesbians, homosexuals, bisexuals, and transgenders all saying Jesus Christ set us free. And yet you look at the bottom of the comments, everyone who is supposedly supposed to be for tolerance and diversity and inclusion is calling them the worst names imaginable. Why? Because of a corrupt mind. We say to the people in front of the abortion clinic, if this was Auschwitz, we would be the heroes and you would be the villains. If this was sex trafficking, right here, like in Malaysia and other parts of, of Asia, of course it's all over the world, but predominantly in these Asian nations where they're even being given, the girls given by their fathers, if this was a sex trafficking market, we would be the heroes. You would be the villains. If this was a slave auction, like has happened in America's history, if this was a slave auction and we were here, you would be the villains and we would be the heroes. And yet you, we say to them, are of such a corrupt mind that you can't see you're the villain. They're shouting, listen, they're shouting at us as preachers when we go to them for the right to murder their own children. And we literally say to them, we'll adopt your children. We have right now a family that is uh, paying for a single mom to live in a hotel for a month so that she will give birth to the child and the child will be adopted. Let's give it up for what God is doing. We will do whatever it takes to save the children. And yet, we're told we're the haymongers. And they say, well, what do you do for the children that are living? Have you ever heard of Christian orphanages? <laughs> Have you ever heard of Christian daycares? All the, the Christian church has been here the entire time doing this. Now, yes, have we begun to fail at doing it in this generation, yes. But it's not because of Christianity we've begun to fail. It's because we're not living as Christians. All of us here should participate in the foster care program, into the daycare programs of the city, helping single moms should participate in adoption. If you're looking for a Christian organization, talk to Sue Ellen and Jared or others here who have done it. This should be to our shame that we don't participate in it. And I'm not saying every day of your life you have to, but you need to plan it out. You need to have a plan. My wife and I are coming together with a plan with our youngest right now. As he's grown, we're going to become these kind of parents for the rest of our lives. We're just establishing our family so that we can do it. Others feel they can do it now, but there should be no excuse. It's not the question of how, uh, you know, when should we adopt or, or, or rather, excuse me, the question is not whether we should adopt or foster care. It's when and how. But you can't, you can't explain this to people with corrupt minds. We had Jared, during the middle of everything that was going on, put up one of the children that he was taking care of, African-American, as a foster care father, and saying, how in the world can you call me racist when I'm a part of the solution? People then called the agencies in DFC and said, uh, whatever, DCFS, and said, you have to take the pictures down or we're going to remove the child from your home. Wickedness. When I lived in the South, not saying everything in the South is perfect, whatever they had, food banks, all of that, worked directly with the churches so easy. When I came to Chicago 15 years ago, it was an easy call, food bank, I'm here, I'm ready to give out food. You want to know what they told me? You can't do it on a church day. You can't do it preaching the gospel. You can't put your flyer in there. If you're going to do the food bank with us in Chicago, you give it out and say nothing about God. And I said, I'm not working with you then. We'll give out food on our own. And by the way, right now we have $8,000 already in our community uh, 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 
savings, getting ready for the back to school. We're planning it out. We're going to continue to give to this community. Amen. We have the monies. We have the opportunities. We're helping people pay rent. Where is some of you are like, man, I'd like to get some at 8,000. Well, right, Lauren, we'll see what you need. We are taking care of needs and we're ready to do something great as the schools get back into session. But people of corrupt minds can't understand the role of the church. The role of the church, and and let me just say this, and the role of missionaries has always been thought of as a blessing, but now it's a curse. During one of our Facebook live feeds, somebody said, well, you guys don't care about these other countries that you always refer to in your talks about how they are devastated and how their, gar- their governments are garbage and they're falling apart and all of this. And then we had a missionary on there going, I lived in South Africa in one of the worst neighborhoods in an orphanage taking care of children. Do you want to know what a woman said back to her? You're a white empiricist or imperialist. You're a white woman coming to conquer them. That's what the missionary was thought of by our culture. The woman who brought, and you know them, the Nicoles, who will be here at the end of the month, brought their whole family to South Africa saying, we've given up everything to work in the orphanages here. They also worked in the orphanages of Mozambique, and they were called white imperialists, if I can even say the word. How many Black Lives Matter people have become missionaries to the orphanage? How many of these Marxists have gone to those nations, those nations that are suffering Come on, somebody. The drug cartels taking over Latin America right now. Another, you know, just what, two months ago, there was a famous couple that was kidnapped and murdered. We know what's going on in these nations. Corruption. I forget what major city was in Mexico. They had taken, the drug cartel had taken over the entire police department. And they had to send in the military. In Colombia... If you study about Bogota, Colombia, and the revival that happened there, the pastor was martyred by the drug cartel. And that's what it took finally for the church to wake up and all the Christians to meet in stadiums and say, we're done with this in our nation. Read about the revival of Bogota and how it took a pastor being killed by the drug cartels. Is anyone here going to defend sin? Of course not. But what I'm not going to do is sit back and say, that because of America's sins, that we're now going to turn to something other than God. If you want to talk about wickedness, let's talk about it all day long. But we're turning to God. If you think there's been problems in the family, okay, I agree. We're going to do it God's way. If you think that there hasn't been racial reconciliation or, or uh, you know, free, um, you know, uh, you know, housing, uh, you know, the ability to move around or opportunities, I should say, okay, well, we're going to settle that God's way. If you think that there's been problems about white privilege or whatever, we're going to do it God's way. If you think there's injustice in the world, we're going to do it God's way. Christians should do it God's way. If Christians don't do it God's way, then we're the tail and they're the dog and they're just going to wave us around. I see some of my friends making partnerships with people who hold everything on this list and they think that it's going to go well for them in their church. Do you understand that if Biden or someone like him gets elected, that Christians will be the first to lose their rights? Do you understand that? We think as Christians, well, I just couldn't vote Republican because everybody has made this out to be so wicked and evil that they've told you, if you believe in social justice, you have to vote this way. Do you know that churches will be the first ones targeted, that daycares, that that Christian colleges already I met a seminary president from Canada that had to go to the Canadian Supreme Court on whether or not they would be forced to accept homosexuals into their universities. That was struck down, thankfully, in Canada, but they are only months, years away. And if that were to happen in our nation, that's what, if if we go the same way as Canada and these European nations, our freedom of speech will be taken from us. What I'm preaching now in Canada can be considered hate speech. What's being done in universities will be considered hate speech. Christian universities will be overturned. Are you listening? That's why I've said to my friends who work at these Christian universities, don't think about these accreditations very long because they're going to start pulling them from us. Why? Because they're going to try to paint us as the hate mongers. They're going to try to say that we're on the wrong side of history, but they are men of corrupt minds. Dr. Michael Brown was in a panel discussion on whether or not pederasty was wrong with the professor and other doctors. I think he was one out of four. He was the only negative voice. All the rest of the voices were positive. That's the way our world is going right now. 
wickedness of, of transgender, wickedness of homosexuality. It's already been accepted. How much longer till it's forced upon our, our Bible college? It's already forced in our schools. How many know that now a part of our learning in the public schools of Illinois, that is going to be taught to them? It's already been made law or, or a bill that's been passed for the Illinois school district. Now, am I just trying to get you to see the bad news? No. There is good news coming, but can we deny any of this? We can't. Now, let me ask you a question, those of you who have been around our church. Have we ever uh, not stood against this? Or, in other words, have I been consistent preaching against these things? When Bill Clinton was in office, living in perversion and wickedness, being pro-abortion, striking down a ban against partial birth abortion, so far I preached against him. When Obama was in office, lighting up the White House with LGBT colors, being pro-abortion, I preached against him. Whenever Trump does something that's unjust, that affects us as a church, I will preach against him. And so to me, it's not about a political party. It's not about a color of skin. It's about recognizing where is darkness coming from and what are we going to do to stand against it? Let's go now to the next chapter. Chapter four, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who will judge the living and the dead and in the view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge to preach the word. Chapter four, go all the way down. Everybody say, preach the word. It's supposed to say chapter 4 there. I have it saying chapter 2. Look at what it says. Who will judge the living and the dead? Do churches today talk about judgment anymore? I went through all the live feeds of the big boys today. Nobody's talking about judgment. Do you know what everybody's talking to their church about right now? Peace. Safety. Come on, let's all just get back together. Let's just all say we're sorry. Let's capitulate. Let's admit that we're all wrong. Christian privilege, white privilege, marriage privilege, prosperity privilege. Let's admit we're all wrong. Let's take our lashes from Will Smith. Let's take our moral cues from Oprah Winfrey. Will Smith, who's not been in a committed marriage relationship. Oprah Winfrey, who herself's never been married. uh, You know, uh, Ellen DeGeneres, who's in a lesbian relationship. Uh, You know, Don Lemon, who's himself a homosexual. Let's, let's Let's take all of our whippings from them. As Christians, we deserve it. When do they talk about judgment? When do we ever look at a sin and go, that's what God judges? That's what God judges. I'll be the first to point out towards what people would say towards conservatism. Ronald Reagan's wife went to horoscopes. God judges that. Uh, Donald Trump was a pervert and may still be a pervert. God judges that. Okay, Are are we good on that? Hillary Clinton is a lunatic, mass genocidal maniac wanting us to abort our children alive. Sinful, judgment. Does everybody get that? This guy doing talk shows, whatever his name is. The African-American here, what is his name? Steve Harvey on his fourth marriage, giving women marriage advice. Wicked. Does everybody get that? Che Guevara, wicked. Andrew Jackson, if he did what he was supposedly said to have done, wicked. Anyone that goes against these things is wicked. Do you want me to go further into our culture? My Italian history, wicked. Mobsters, wicked. Gangbangers, wicked. Perverted people, wicked. Okay, now, now that we got that settled, God is going to judge. And so that judgment is a real deal. And so if I care about you, I'm going to think about that when I see you. Not my judgment. Not like what what I like about you or don't like about you. Not my opinion. But I am going to have in view God's judgment. And this is the thing that blows my mind that people don't understand about our Bible. Do you know that Adam and Eve got kicked out of the garden for eating fruit? (laughs) What do you think our God is? He is not Barney. He is not playing around. Our God is a judging God. Someone died for touching the ark. Of the covenant. Our God is serious. The Bible says that two people, a husband and wife, died in church for lying about their offering. 
So people want to say, well, I don't believe in that God. My God would never judge. And what do I always say back to them? You're right. Your God would never do that. You want to know why? Because your God doesn't exist. Your God is make-believe. But the God of the Bible judges. And if we care about the people on that list, because we've all been there, how many will admit before Christ, without Christ, you were on that list? Your wickedness was there. Your haughtiness, your loving of pleasure, all of your sin could be summarized in that same list. But God changed us. God set us free. And so now, in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge, preach the word. So what is the answer to perilous times? Preaching the word. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season and do these three things. Correct, rebuke, and encourage. What do pastors like Joe Osteen want to do every week? Encourage, encourage, and encourage. What does, uh, you know, Steve, um, Stephen Furtick, thank you. What does he want to do? What does T.D. Jakes want to do? What does most of these preachers want to do every week? Encourage, encourage, encourage. Is that what it says? Is that what you and I are supposed to do when we preach the word? Just encourage, encourage. No, we are to correct. That means we are supposed to go through the list that he gave us in the previous chapter and correct it. And say, get rid of your greed, be generous. Get rid of your pride, be, be humble. Get rid of your love for pleasure and take up your cross. Deny yourself and follow Jesus. We are to rebuke. We are to command sin to stop. If you're sinning, we are to say, stop sinning in the name of Jesus. If my dad is sinning, stop sinning. If my wife is sinning, if my children are sinning, if you are sinning, if my government is sinning, stop sinning. And then I am to encourage you to live for Jesus. I am to give you scriptures that help you live for Jesus. Encouragement is not what you see on America's Got Talent after the person comes out as trans and the judges go, we're so proud of you. Keep telling your story. That's not encouragement for the things of God. That is not. That is just like someone drinking poison and you say, keep doing it. I'm so proud of you. True love stands in the way of self-destruction. We believe that the sins of this generation lead towards destruction. We don't preach against them because we hate them. We preach because we love them. And we want to see them change with great patience and careful instruction. Lord, give me more of that. Give me more patience. How many more patience in preaching? How many need to learn to be careful to give the instruction? Sometimes people have said to homosexuals, well, just change, and you know, then you'll be straight. Look at a magazine with boys or girls, whatever the opposite sex is, and then, and then it will happen. That's not careful instruction. I've been saved for over 20 years, and I still battle with lust on a daily basis. If you're instructing me how not to give in to lust of the opposite sex, you need to be careful in how you instruct me. Otherwise, I will feel condemned and that I'm not a Christian. But if you teach me that the flesh has desires of its own and the spirit it wars against the flesh and I'm to follow the spirit and to crucify the flesh daily, then I can have the instruction that I need to not give in to the lust that seems to come so natural. Are you listening? See, it's that careful instruction. That's why when people hear our testimonies, they think we're doing conversion therapy with the LGBTQ and, and we're beating the alcohol, alcoholism out of the alcoholic. No, no, no. It's careful instruction. I'm thankful that good pastors taught me how to live holy. And that taught me even if I were to sin, that I could be forgiven. And that it's God in me, that it can do all things. That greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. How many are glad about careful instruction? And that's why we do one-on-one -on -one discipleship here. And then lastly, in verse 3, it says, For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from truth and turn aside to miss. But you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. And we can pause there. Vinny, would you come, please? Thank you for your attention. But think about it. 
Everything that I went through in that list and gave examples of, what would people call now? They would call that hate speech. Oh my goodness, your pastor's a bigot. Listen to what he just said. I had one of my friends from my white suburban town of Fort Wayne, Indiana, join me one time when I was preaching. He said, man, I'll tell you two things about your preaching. Number one, it was never boring. You kept me up the whole time. He said, and number two, I have never been more offended. I have never been more, I mean, the things you said and the way you listed it off, I mean, you offended everything about me. You offended my family, you offended my friends. You offended what I do for a living. You did, you offended everything. Well, is that the job of a preacher to offend? No, the job is to tell you the truth and not tell you miss. Once again, here are some of the myths that I hear my friends or famous people preaching right now. Everything's going to be okay. Just relax. We're going to get through this. It's going to be okay. Everything's going to go back to normal. And whatever's the new normal, you'll like it better than the old normal. And you know what? It's okay to go with the flow of political upheaval right now. Because Christians have always been on the side of justice and since they're saying the word justice even though they're burning everything down and beating people and, and being unjust just follow the word justice and follow the trend and we'll, we'll get along just fine and make it through all this. Don't, don't be like those guys over there at Metro Praise International. Look at what they went through. My goodness, don't be like them. I know anybody that's left this church to go to their churches, I'm sure the first thing they say to them after they find out they came from this church, oh, they ask them, what church did you come from? Oh, I came from Metro Praise International. They go, oh, my goodness, you made it out. Woo, I'm so glad you did. Here's a therapy dog. Here's a free gift card to our cafe. And here's an on-site counselor anytime you need him or her. So glad you made it out of that cult. I can just imagine them telling them. I can just imagine them telling them, you're safe here. You don't have to worry about that here. Woo, we won't be controversial like that here. Of course not. We're woke here. We'll make sure you're safe. Your family's safe. There'll be no controversy. There'll be no sermon you'll have to be ashamed of when you get home that you attended. Because everything here is Disney World myth. They're not going to call it that, but you know. They're going to say, because everything here is just ear tickling. I had a person leave the church one time a few years ago, and they said, I can't bring any of my friends here. And I said, why not? Oh, they would just be offended. You talk about this, you talk about that. And I said, what would you want me to talk about? Well, just talk about how Jesus loves everybody. So I'm supposed to skip through this whole part right here, that in the last times there's going to be perilous, in the last days there's going to be perilous times. Just skip through all of that, that people will be lovers of themselves. Don't talk about that. And I'm supposed to skip through just entire chapters of entire books, you know, entire books of the Bible. Just skip through all of that just so when your friend comes, they don't get offended. Let me ask you a question. How is your friend ever going to get saved then? And they said, well, you know, God can do it another way. I said, how are they ever going to get convicted of their sin then? How, how is the person who is a homosexual, a lesbian, a, a, a person hooked on pornography, or a person living in adultery, or a drunkard, an alcoholic, how is anyone going to get saved? Because I thought that's what church was about, was seeing sinners get saved. I thought this was really the doing the work of an evangelist. And he just said, well, I just don't agree with all that. I just don't agree with all that. What was the message of Jesus when he went around town? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Tell me one time, tell me one time, Jesus said, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Will you please come follow me? We say that to summarize the message. I understand. But tell me when Jesus ever uttered words like that. Why was Jesus always bringing up hell in almost every single one of his discussions? Follow the narrow path and go through the narrow gate. Does he just end there because we're all going to have fun? No, because wide and broad is the gate and the path that leads to what? Destruction. Why does Jesus say that? Why didn't he just stop at, let's just all go this way to heaven? Why did, why did he have to bring up destruction? Destruction. 
How about this one? How about this one? Don't fear who can kill your body. Don't fear about that. How many think that's encouragement? Don't fear who can kill your body. But then he adds this. But fear the one who can destroy your body and your soul in hell. Jesus, come on. You had us at the beginning. Just don't be afraid, little lamb. Why does he have to say now, but be afraid of the one who can send you to hell? And the most loving scripture we know in the Bible, John 3, 16, why does he say it like this? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall have eternal life. Why doesn't Jesus just tell it just like that? You're just, God so loved the world. Whoever believes in him, boom, they get eternal life. That's a great scripture, right? What part are we missing? Yeah, shall not perish. For God so loved the world that whoever believes in him, what? Shall not perish, but have eternal. Why does he always bring that up? Why is it almost as if in every conversation Jesus wants us to know about a hell and a judgment? Because it's real. And because he's doing the work of an evangelist, and now we're supposed to do that, we're supposed to see sinners saved. And I'll end with this example. As the band and altar workers come, I didn't come up with it. I got it from another preacher. But imagine if you and I were on a plane, and I had a parachute on, and you looked at me. We're, at a norm, we're at a, you know, on a normal plane with a normal airline. We're not going skydiving. I mean, we're like on Spirit or Delta or United. And I'm sitting there, it's funny, right? I'm sitting there and I got a parachute on. You're going to look at me and go, what are you doing? And if I said to you, well, I'm just wearing this parachute because it makes me feel comfortable. It makes my ride better. How many of you know could look at me and go, that's probably a lie. You look actually uncomfortable in this small chair with a big parachute on. You would probably say, well, what's the, what's the real reason you would do this? And if I said to you, well, I'm afraid it's going to crash, so if it does, I'm going to have a parachute. You might think I'm a little nutty. Maybe you get scared yourself and go, are you going to blow it up like James Bond and then jump out the thing? I mean, help me understand this. But now everybody get this. If we were at the hundred, with the 101st Airborne and we're dropping over Germany, during D-Day, how many know the parachute's a necessity? Okay? What some of you are doing, watch this, is you're trying to go through Christianity like as if you're on a Delta airline and you're trying to convince people around you that having a parachute makes you look better, feel better, and be cooler. And everybody's looking at you going, no, you just look like an idiot, like you're over uh, thinking this, that you're afraid. You're trying to make Christianity about, well, I'm a Christian because I get a better life out of it. I'm a Christian because I get this. I'm a Christian because I get that. No, no, my friends, I'm a Christian first and foremost because God is saving me from hell. I am justly deserving judgment. Does everybody get that? I justly deserve judgment, but God loved me to save me. I'm receiving that salvation because I need it. Not just because it makes my life better. Not just because I'm having more fun. See, sometimes people think Christianity is just like wearing a parachute on a plane that's going to go from A to B anyway. Isn't that Delta flight? Isn't the Delta flight going to go from A to B anyway? I mean, have you ever needed to use a parachute on a flight? Aren't most people thinking about Christianity just as that extra protection? It's just that thing that I do so I can have a little bit better of a life. I can have a little bit more safety. I, it might be a little uncomfortable every now and then taking my kids to church and doing so forth and so on, but I have a little bit of fire insurance. But I'm still a good person, and my neighbor is still a good person. They'll probably still get to heaven too. But just in case, I'm going to have a parachute. Isn't that the way most people look at Christianity? Christianity is not that. You are flying over enemy-held territory right now. And nine times out of ten, that ship is going to get shot down. And the parachute is the only way you're going to be saved. That's the way you need to look at it. And the only way we get saved is by having that on and jumping out that plane and falling in the arms of Jesus. Christianity is not about a better house. It's not about a better life. As a matter of fact, it's not about making your family happy because now in our culture, more families are getting upset you're coming to church than they used to. 
In Islamic nations, when you become a Christian, your mom disowns you instead of giving you a hand clap coming to your baptism. The brothers will beat you. My missionary friends have experienced that. When they have new converts, they have to hide them and run them away from their family lest their own family kill them. True story. So we're not, we're not doing Christianity because it's a little bit extra so that we can have a little bit of fire insurance. No, we're doing Christianity because it's the only way out of here. It's the only hope. And so everybody can get mad at us if they want when we talk about heaven and hell and judgment and sin. A lot of people can get mad about that, but it's only Christ that saves. Amen? Let's pray in closing. Father, we thank you today for your word that teaches us how to live for you. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that you died on the cross to save sinners, sinners like me, sinners like those that are here today. Where you're seated right now, if you're a sinner and want to accept Christ into your heart, just confess your sins and make Jesus the Lord of your life. Jesus will be the Lord of your life right now if you'll accept him. Repent of your sins. The judgment of God will be removed from you, and you can jump with the parachute of God's grace into salvation right now. Because the ship you're on, the plane you're on is getting shot down by the enemy. And it's only about a matter of time before you face he uh, heaven's judgment. A few moments right now. If you're a Christian and you've been backslidden during these times and you've been believing myths and it's been so easy for you to go with the flow, would you repent of your sins and say, Lord, change me, make me more like you. And those of you who have been Christians but you want to be brave, you want to be bold. You don't want to be afraid of this church. You don't want to be afraid of the gospel. You, won't, you don't want to be disobedient to, to tell the world, but you ask God to give you boldness right now. Pray and ask the Lord to give you boldness. We're going to stand to our feet. Would you do that with us right now? And just raise your hands. Surrender to God. And if you need prayer, you can come to one of these altar workers. We'll dismiss in just a moment. But hands surrendered to God. And if you need prayer for any of these things, these altar workers will pray for you in a way that you can feel safe. Jesus, we ask for your power, your grace, your mercy to transform lives in this place. We pray that we'll never be the same again. That despite what's going on in our nation, that Lord, you will call us to be a godly people. That we will not be swept up and the wickedness of this world. We will stand our ground lovingly, kindly, but we will not be shaken. We understand that these are the last days. These are perilous times, and we trust you. We're going to get ready to dismiss row by row out of our side door, but let me pray for you, and if you still need prayer, you can come on up. Let's start at 11.05, our second service, please, so make sure that we have plenty of time for people to transition. Lord, we thank you for today. We ask that we will stand strong and preach your word in these perilous times, that we will not be ashamed, and that you'll cause us to live for you in all that we do in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Can you